0: Monday, everyone, and welcome back to Around the Waves on KCOU 88.1 FM, Columbia, the student voice of your Missouri Tigers. My name's Luca Vitale, alongside me, Ben Schmidt, Justin Kraft. Let's get going here. Some news on Mizzou sports. Start with Mizzou soccer here. Fell, they fell short against 22th ranked Georgia yesterday, 2-1. to one. The Bulldogs, they have the Tigers to single-digit shots. Third consecutive game where Mizzou hasn't been able to record 10 or more shots, but Tigers do return home this week to face 11th Rake, Arkansas. That game is scheduled for 6 o'clock Central Time. If you were interested in attending that, it will also be broadcast on KCU.fm. All right, so let's get to Mizzou football here. So, as you guys know, your stars, they got to shine the brightest, especially when the lights are the hottest. And after that Kansas State, State Kansas State thriller, You know, that Memphis game was a big game in my eyes, and it was sort of a reminder to me and probably most people that they couldn't lose that game if they wanted to sort of keep up that momentum that they've built after the first three games. And well, Tigers were rewarded. Not only were rewarded for a win, but Mizzou saw its name in the AP poll for the first time. In in terms of football, for the first time since October of 2019, and they are four and zero for the first time since 2013. So, having said all that, Ben, how impressed are you with the Mizzou offense through these first uh, last two weeks?
1: Oh, I mean, very. I don't. I don't. How can you not be based on how the Outcome was against Middle Tennessee. I think we all kind of sat there and and watched them two Saturdays ago and said, "Man, this is a offense that's not explosive. They're conservative. They're uh, they they were scared to go for it late in game on third and fourth downs, and they really had to hang on to their defense just to get out to a two and zero start. And now, since against the 15th rate Kansas State defense, you're, you're pushing over 300 yards in the passing game, closer actually to 400 yards in the passing game." And then on Saturday against Memphis, I mean, you look at it. Look at the numbers. Memphis came in as the statistically top ten defense in the country, and I know it, it wasn't a Memphis team that it was playing a bunch of great teams. I mean, they, the best team they had probably played before Mizzou was Navy, who put up 24 yeah. points in them. But still, that was a Memphis defense who had a really good pass rush, which mm-hmm. Mizzou's offensive line is a weakness, so you were worried there. Right. And they were giving up like 13 a game, and Mizzou had that in, in the first couple drives for them. So um, to do that against not very easy opponents, based on how the season started, I'm really impressed. And I I think Brady Cook, one given time, has really turned in to a quarterback that can push the football down the field. And I think the offense has really started to um, kind of find out what they can have in their weapons. The first couple games, uh, I would say the first two is Luther Burden and nobody else. But really lately, they have started to find kind of some pass catching in other areas. I've been really impressed with what Theo Weiss has done the last mm-hmm. two games. I believe he had over 70 yards um, against Kansas State. And then on Saturday against St. Louis, he had the 19-yard touchdown reception along with a couple other grabs. So he has kind of turned into um, the the wide receiver, too, in this offense behind Luther and a guy that they trust downfield. They, they clearly have their, when it's not Luther pushing the ball, their burner and Marquise Johnson. He's a guy who might be faster than anyone on that field and can get behind the defense. And I think in certain spots out of the slot, they can turn to Makai Miller or Mookie Cooper. Those aren't receivers that are going to give you 70 yards game, but if they give you two for 30 or, or three for 40. I, I mean, that's a complimentary aspect to what you're getting from Luther Burden and uh, uh, Theo Weiss Jr. I, I think that is more than enough, and we saw that on Saturday. So I'm impressed. I, I thought that the offensive line, for the most part, caught Brady, kept Brady Cook clean. And I think the thing that was most interesting for me to see is late in that ball game, or I guess about halfway through the fourth quarter, that offense got the ball back up seven points. And I think that's a situation where we've seen teams in the past get conservative conservative, and punt that football back, and the other team has a chance to tie the game. But they go all the way down the field, I believe it was a 75-yard drive, and essentially ice the game with a Cody Schrader 30-plus-yard rushing mm-hmm. touchdown. Yep. That was impressive to me because I think that's a sign that things have changed, that this team was good enough to actually put the game away right there um, with a, one big pass on the drive to Mookie Cooper and the rest on the ground with Cody Schrader. Uh, I think that was the biggest step forward that I've seen out of this Mizzou offense.
0: Alright, before I uh, start talking here, I do have to ask because you two were at the dome broadcasting the game how was it
1: oh i mean i i think we both agree it was a whole lot of fun uh the the lower bowl was pretty much packed with yellow there was one one or two sections on the memphis side and that was blue but the lower bowl was a whole lot of yellow so it got loud and uh I mean I'll tell you what, they had us set up almost right at the fifty yard line with yeah. the bird's eye view. So yeah, I, I think fun. I think you and I both both had a good call. Mm-hmm. and the the only thing that was tough is those Memphis blue numbers didn't pop a whole lot. So they <laughs> didn't make it easy on us when they were throwing to Blake MC yep. and Rock Taylor to pick those numbers out. But yeah, I mean for Mizzou, you can't ask for much more than uh, we're just settling into our seats and Marquise Johnson beats the defense for a 76 yard touchdown. I see that. That was a really yeah. good touchdown. But that was n- cool.
0: Having said all that, I did have the best of two worlds on Saturday. Yeah, Not only yeah. did I have to broadcast the Mizzou hockey game, yeah. but I also got to see the majority of this Mizzou football game. So I like, had the best of two worlds, which is phenomenal. Good Saturday for you. Yeah, right? I was. I didn't the highlights and I was watching the game. I mean, it was beautiful. Yeah. But having said all this, for the first time, Since we have been here at the University of Missouri, they finally have a passing game to fear. And it is putting the fear of God in the opposition, which is incredible because not only... They couldn't run the football against Kansas State, but they were able to run the football against Memphis. Cody Schrader had a beautiful game. I think he had uh he averaged eight yards a carry, eight point eight yards a carry, uh fourteen carries for 123 yards and a touchdown. Nate Pete P- turned it
1: on late too. Yep. Like yeah, very he did much. turn it on
0: late, but Nate Pete also had a very good game as well. So obviously you get your one A and one B uh running the football and moving the chains, but you also got Brady Cook throwing the football really effectively, and that says a lot because I wanted to read this stat because I thought this is very important to read. Before the Kansas State game, Brady Cook had zero career 300-yard performances prior to that game. He's achieved that in back-to-back games now. Mm-hmm. So Brady Cook, it looks look very good. Let the dude cook, okay? We have seen after last season, what did he struggle to do last season even for the first two games of this year? Throwing the ball down the field he looks like he can throw the ball down the field pretty well. In fact, Kirby Moore is utilizing his wide receivers to his advantage, real, giving them a chance to catch the ball down the field, especially Luther Burden. And you can even throw Theo Weeson there and Marquise Johnson, especially that 75-yard dime. But there, he is utilizing Brady Cook to his strengths. He is utilizing the wide receivers to their strengths. He's opening the playbook, and that is exactly what they've done the last two games. And a beautiful time to do that before SEC play is this weekend against yep. Vanderbilt. So that's even beautiful. But. It's not exactly, this isn't bad for a quarterback that many people had no hope for entering the season. And even last season, zero hope. They wanted Sam Horn. Uh, looks like the uh, tables have turned. It looks like the narrative has changed quite a bit. I,
1: I will say this before I let you go, Justin. Yeah, we no, we had this discussion, the <laughs> three of us, the class that we're all in last week. Like, yeah. You think Nick Saban would rather have Brady Cook or Jaden Milrow right now? Yeah, Brady I, Cook. I legitimately like do think Brady Cook. A I, hard, cra- it's I a good really question, say, I, good.
0: I have to say it. Okay. Yeah, I really that's nuts. do. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, it's hard to sit up there and say I'd rather have a Missouri quarterback over a Bella- okay. Alabama quarterback. You know what? But guess what? The tables have turned. But I will say this a lot of Cook's passes last year were behind the line of scrimmage or at the line of scrimmage. So uh, think of uh, Luke Getze's play calling right now. But this year, it's about airing it out, in trusting the wide receiver. So, which means it's a good sign moving forward. And the wide receiver we're moving into this year, we knew was a strength of this Missouri team. And sure enough, we are seeing it with our two eyes on the field. Now, obviously, we know Luther Burton is a star himself, and we're finally seeing it. After last season, he was not utilized correctly. This year, this suit is being utilized correctly. It's about time. There's plenty of talent up and down the roster at the wide receiver position. We understand this. And if Brady Cook is going to be successful this year, he needed to know Kirby Moore and Brady Cook. They needed to trust his guys more, and they had to let them do their plays. Kirby Moore knew that, and he let it do it. And that's exactly what he has done, and I am very proud of Kirby Moore for that reason and Brady Cook for that reason itself. The one thing that... Is a concern going going into SEC play? I'm sure you guys could agree with me because you have seen it. You called the game on Saturday. Third down conversions—that is a major problem going into SEC play on offense and on defense. Yeah,
1: yeah. that's. I was just gonna say too that mm-hmm. the fourth down play too. Like a fourth and one, you need a yard, and they call it like a play action, and bring it to feel like yeah. a jump. I didn't like I that play call. Like it yeah, so no, just
0: no, a yeah.
2: little nitpicking. That's
1: yeah. All. yes, yeah, that's that's what we're doing because they scored 34 points. I mean, right, I'm just mean, nitpicking. Yep. That's yep. all. Yep.
2: Oh, yeah, I was very impressed on Saturday when Ben and I were on the call. Kirby Moore did what was needed to be done and opened up the playbook, let Brady throw the football down the field and let him cook, and that's exactly what Brady did. And really, I was very impressed with how the Missouri offense was able to bounce back because they were up 7-0, they scored on the opening drive, then Memphis responded, they put up three points, got the field goal, and then Cody Schrader fumbled, looked like the tide was turning, all the momentum was going to Memphis. Then they scored a touchdown off off that Cody Schrader fumble. Mm-hmm. Then they went up ten seven. And it looked like, you know, Memphis had all the momentum at the end of the quarter. But then right away this Missouri offense and this defense really kicked it into gear. Right. And then once, you know, Missouri scored ten unanswered, they went up seventeen to ten. They just didn't look back from there. And especially one thing that Drinkwood said coming into this game against Memphis was Our defense needs to show up as well. Our offense has been playing really well, but we need to force takeaways on the defensive side of the ball. And that's what they did against Hennigan on Saturday. They picked them off twice. And uh, Carnell had a big pick there with Memphis driving late in the second half. And uh, I think it was there in that third quarter. Yeah, Hennigan tried to throw it over the middle, and Carnell jumped it and was able to pick it off. And possibly Memphis could have put points on the board, cut it to one score leader. Even a touchdown, they could have cut it to three because they were were down – 27-17 27-17 at that time, but yeah, it was just a great performance all around, and it's just something to really watch, you know, and keep on the radar. If this Missouri offense keeps it up, and this defense keeps playing at this level, can Missouri keep finding a way to just write the script and say, hey, the, the last time yes, <laughs> the last time we were 4-0 was a decade decade ago with Gary Pinkle, and they made it to the SEC title game. They won the SEC East. Mm-hmm. This is a possibility to really consider. Well, yeah, that, no one's saying they can't. You know, yeah,
0: it's just a matter of fixing the little things as uh-huh. they had an SEC play for
2: sure. Yeah, that's all. Because it's going to get tougher, exactly. You know, especially with SEC, you know, a slate of games. So, still to play.
0: You get your pre, you get your pre-test game yeah. and your track game this upcoming weekend against Vanderbilt. Mm-hmm. First game of the season on the road. You're in Nashville. I don't know where they play and exactly in Nashville because that stadium's still getting. It renovated. might be a high
2: school. Stadium in high school stadium. It doesn't
0: matter, you're still on the road, regardless (laughs) wherever you are in the state of Tennessee. (laughs) Um, but nevertheless, I do want to point out one thing. So, yes, the offense has looked phenomenal Mm -hmm. throughout the season thus far. I will say this there is one thing besides the third down conversions on both sides of the ball they need to correct, they got to fix the mental mistakes. There's just too many mental mistakes they have made. So, obviously, they were 0 8 on third down. In that game, they had to settle for field goals. I think one of them was inside the Memphis 15 yard line on a couple occasions, if I'm not mistaken. Then you got Cody Schrader fumbling the ball on their own 10 yard line. That's another mental mistake, which almost led to a Memphis touchdown directly Mm -hmm. after that. But once again, I think most importantly, the penalties are once again a problem. Yeah. Okay? You finish the day with four penalties on offense two holds and two false starts. Okay? And I believe there was another Luther Burden, unnecessary roughness one, if I'm not mistaken. But you have got to get rid of these penalties. Okay? And then the defense. You're missing tackles left and right. You cannot be having those mistakes where you're having missed tackles, you have clear coverage busts, you can't have this. When you're going up against someone like Georgia, when you're at their place in Athens, when Knoxville – In Tennessee, when they come here and they play Mizzou, you cannot be having those mental mistakes. You Mm -hmm. have got to clean those up before you go up against somebody like Tennessee, when you go up against someone like Georgia, when you go up against someone like Kentucky. you got to fix those mental mistakes, otherwise it could potentially cost you the game.
2: Oh, yeah, I totally agree, and that's what Ben and I saw on Saturday when we were calling the game, was there were two times Memphis had the football, and they were backed up. And right. it's like, okay, Missouri's defense needs to stand. It was like third down and 17. Then there was another time it was like third down and 10, third down and 12. And they just weren't able to stop Memphis. And Memphis was able to pick up the first downs on those you know drives. And that's really one thing the defense is going to have to really find a way to really you know uh, shape up and mm-hmm. is you know stopping those opposing offenses when they have them backed up. And especially if we're going to give up first downs left and right to LSU – who we play in two weeks, coming to, you know, Como and a big game and possibly college game day. I know we've all been talking uh, the, about you it. You
1: want to hear some terrible news? <laughs> it's 11 a.m. It's an 11 a.m. Oh, kick. Oh, yeah. well, yeah, maybe we'll gross. get some oh, wow. SEC
2: Nation type gross. of college game day or something. You know? Yeah. But no sleeping. They got to find a way against, you know, good caliber top five teams like Georgia, like LSU. They're going to have yeah. to find a way – to, you know, shut him down on third down and long. I
1: right. think another thing too is, and I mean, like I don't know how you you don't really fix this unless you're getting turnovers, um, which mm-hmm. they had a couple. But Missouri did not start on the plus side of the field on offense until the last drive of the game because it was an onside kick. Yes, like we were we were we were keeping track throughout the game, and for the most part they were starting inside their own 30 almost every drive. I think they started a little closer to midfield on the Chris Abrams drain pick, but outside right. of that, I mean, it wasn't you were asking the offense to go pretty much 70 yards plus every single drive, which they did for the most part they had 12 offensive drives including the end of the game kneel down and they scored on six of them so mm-hmm. um, there you would like to see if there's a couple times where you could set the offense up but like I said I think we're at this point just finding things to nitpick which you, you should because you're going to have to play near perfect right. um, to beat some of the big dogs of the SEC and I think we all agree that the formula for Mizzou to beat LSU in two weeks is probably going to have to be win a shootout I don't yep. think anyone sees mm-hmm. this being I a 24 20 final. They've done it three times, yeah. it three times yep. but
0: how long does that hold up? Yeah. How How long does that hold up because when you're going up against inferior competition like middle tennessee i wouldn't say memphis is inferior competition but you got to be able to put teams away and i think Mm -hmm. that's going to be a key moving forward all right we're going to do a quick commercial break after that nfl news we'll be right back at KCUU 88.1 fm the missouri army national guard can help you get the education you need to land the career you've always wanted The Guard will pay up to 100% of your tuition for up to 39 credit hours per academic year at 90 colleges and tech schools across the state. You're eligible as soon as you enlist. Learn more about the many benefits that come with serving part-time in the Missouri Army National Guard. Visit NationalGuard.com today. Sponsored by the Missouri Army National Guard. Aired by the Missouri Broadcasters Association in this station. To, welcome back to Around the Waves on KCOU 88.1 FM. I'm Luca Vitali, joined by Ben Schmidt, Justin Kraft. All right, so you know what? Let's just let's just call it what it is. <laughs> the Bears are a dumpster fire. The Chicago Bears are a dumpster fire okay. on and off the field. You know, last week. They couldn't stop making the headlines for purposes that had nothing to do with football. They had were making headlines, purposes off the field. I mean, you go from your D.C. being fired for inappropriate behavior that dealt with HR, and then you're getting equipment stole out of your field, but whatever. General Manager Ryan Poles and Head Coach Matt Eberflus used one word repeatedly this past week to describe what the Chicago Bears were going through. Adversity. Oh okay. okay. We all go through adversity in mm-hmm. life. That's fair, yeah. right? That's fair. So, you t- you wanted to see the team culture was made of going into Arrowhead and how your 0-2 squad would respond after a very distracting week at-, at Hallis Hall, and what do you do? You put up literally a goose egg if it weren't for garbage time. <laughs> yeah, honestly. What was it, 41-10, I believe, was the final score? I turned it off after the first quarter because that was embarrassing. DJ itself.
1: Moore was great for my fantasy team, don't though. Care. I needed that. Don't
0: care. All right. If fan- I don't even know why you even drafted him.
1: but um, Yeah, he helped me out, too. Don't care.
0: <laughs> All right. So before I ask this question to you, Justin, because we're going to give Ben the floor for the Vikings. Yeah, we will. Um, you know, this is the fun part for you. I remember going into this season... <laughs> Hearing you say that this Bears team was going to win 10 games, that they were going to win 10 games, that they had a chance to make the playoffs, Justin Fields was going to play NBA football, it was going to be okay, the defense was going to look great. I would love to see, will they have the first pick again next year in the draft? Please take the floor. Go ahead. No,
2: they totally will. You're totally right about that. Mm -hmm. They might even have the first two picks of next year's draft with Mm -hmm. how the Carolina Panthers are playing. I guess they're just trying to help out the Bears. Yeah, so... It is just so disappointing the way the Bears have, you know, started this season 0 and three. And it just looks like every time Justin Fields goes to the podium for the post game press conference, he talks to he much. looks so like depressed. Yeah. He looks like he doesn't want to be out there playing and be the starting quarterback I for the Chicago either. Bears. Like it is just like you said, it is an absolute dumpster fire. The organization, the coaching staff the defense looks like it doesn't even want to play. Like they just shut down. The offense shut down. Justin Fields is just running around like a chicken with his head cut off there the whole entire you know game yesterday comparison. against the Chiefs. But it's just it's so shocking to see this franchise because the Bears are not historically, like, this bad, like, from season to season. Usually they're, like, you know, they have one bad season. They bounce back. They win, like, seven, eight games. They're mediocre. But really, right now, they've lost 13 consecutive games. That's the most in franchise history. And it just Mm -hmm. looks like it's just going to keep on adding up. Mm -hmm. And, man, it is just (laughs) absolute disappointment. I must have been just, like, a deer in headlights. I just thought I, you know, saw, like... Just a, a script or something that said, hey, you know, Paris will po- promise you good luck and fortune to be good. Or, nope. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was a fortune cookie or something they ate from here at the Student Center, and I saw <laughs> something on it that said like Justin Fields will be the next like top five quarterback. Yeah, and I don't care. I think I got in the whole like thing with Dan Orlowski and he kind of convinced me too that. Dan Erlowski, Justin Fields is going to be all that. You know what? But, uh, Dan
0: Orlowski is the same dude that ran uh, bot- <laughs> out of the end zone. Yeah, so he we're made not going to even. yesterday Gardner Minshew yeah.
2: yeah. did it yesterday, so uh-huh. that's going to make headlines. Yeah. All right, something. listen.
0: Matt Eberflus, like you said, has the worst winning percentage in Bears history. Yeah,
2: three and seventeen.
0: I have to go back to Abe Gibron back in the seventies as looking as the second worst coach Jeez. in modern in the modern era. Yeah. You yes you could point to Mark Trussman you could point mm-hmm. to John Fox that's fine but yeah. Abe Gibron is the first name that comes to my head after Matt Eberflus. Okay. Let's just take a look at this right here. Matt Eberflus is 3-17 in 17 through his first 20 games as the Bears head coach. Sad. You said it's the worst winning percentage in Bears history. That is correct. That is a whole 15%. Um, that includes an active 13-game losing streak, the longest in franchise history. Yeah. And you forgot this one part because this is the funny part. Ladies and gentlemen, the last time the Chicago Bears won a regular season game was October 24th, 2022 at the New England Patriots on Monday Night Football. We are at September 25th. So we are almost there. We are almost to a full calendar year.
1: This, the sale of Twitter had yet not yet been finalized. Word. Elon Musk had not owned Twitter the last time the Bears won a football exactly. game. Exactly. Thank
0: you. Right yes.
1: Yeah.
0: And uh, <laughs> let me admit, mention that Chase Claypool has not won a game in a Bears uniform either. Let's no. look at that too. Also, I did. I found this stat uh, this morning. Uh, it is a reporter that works for the Chicago Sun Times. I was very, uh, I love this stat because it just shows how Matt Eberflus is incompetent and should no longer be the Bears head coach. I agree. The Bears had 51 plays on offense yesterday. That is the seventh time under Matt Eberflus they've had 51 players or fewer. That is the most in the league in that span. They are 0 seven in those games, which I think is common sense under Matt Nagy. That happened 65 times. So it only ha- it has 65 games. Excuse me, he coached 65 games for the Bears. Matt Rufloos has coached 20 thus far. Under Matt Nagy, it only happened five times. Wow. So let's keep in That's mind, shocking. stats are stats, facts are facts. Mm-hmm. Okay? For sure. What does this game look like to me? What does this season look like to me? Well, it looks like your hits philosophy, Matt uh, Matt Rufloos, is not working. This team does not look interested in playing football. This team is uninspired to play in football. They look like they're deer in headlights out there. They don't look ready to go up against any sort of competition. I think the Arizona Cardinals would beat this team by 30 if they were to play them today.
2: The Broncos would probably beat them by 30. The Broncos are already favored at
0: Soldier Field next weekend, which, by the way, is the same team that lost by 50 (laughs) yesterday. I'm not kidding you. We're not making that up. What this looks like with Matt Eberflus so far in his 10 years as the Chicago Bears head coach. They are making look Matt Nagy like an offensive genius. Yeah. Matt Nagy, <laughs> the same dude they could not cater to Mitch Trubisky's strengths. I am not saying Mitch Trubisky is a good quarterback because he was never a good quarterback in my eyes, but at least Matt Nagy had some results, okay? You know, the Chiefs reliable potent offense with Patrick Mahomes, they put up 37 points. At halftime, I think it was 34 to me more specific, more specifically, yeah, but it was 30 plus. Yeah, yeah. Matt Nagy was promoted to offensive coordinator this season. Matt Nagy looked quite competent. With that Bears defense, I wonder why. Well, what Matt Nagy did against Matt Eberflus's defense is he basically exposed the lackluster soft zone defense that Matt Eberflus has um, implemented in the system. So bad. If Nagy wanted to show that the Bears weren't better off the last two seasons, I do not know what has anything left to prove. Mm. He was fired, which obviously it had something to do with proving points, but you know what? Matt Eberflus, yeah. he decides, I'm not going to shift blame, but then he sort of shifts blame that they're missing a cornerback. No, 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 no. You don't get to blame anybody but yourself. You guys... You can't get to the quarterback. You're missing tackles. You're letting just bombs away with any quarterback. You made Baker Mayfield look good last weekend against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And uh, let's take a look at the stat as well. The Chicago Bears have one total sack on the season, and that was Nagakwe in the first game of the season. (laughs) And uh, the Bears have registered no sacks ever since. They've had uh, ten total pressures in two games since the Green Bay Packers game. Ryan Poles is is also fully responsible for this because he is clearly not able to build a team. He does not have any sort of finding leaders. He needs to be gone as well. The only person that should be keeping their job is Kevin Warren, who has basically replaced Ted Phillips. And and this is not just anybody. If you fire Matt Eberflus, which they won't, because the McCaskies, I think they got to keep tradition. You know, oh, you got to wait till the after the season. Bring back I don't know what man, I don't please. know what else you have to see, but Alan Williams is gone for another reason besides on field performance. Yep. But you got Luke Getze, Matt Eberflus, they both need to be gone. Yep. Justin Fields needs to be traded before his career is completely done as well. Yep. Um, and then you got to worry about Ryan Poles, who also needs to be gone in my eyes. But the problem is. This—if you—if you hired somebody today like Ben Johnson, the OC of the Detroit Lions—if you hired somebody like I wouldn't hire this dude. but
2: Bring back Lovey Smith.
0: No, Brandon Staley. <laughs> if you wanted to hire him, I'm not—I'm not—I'm I'm not advocating yeah, for yeah, that. Yeah. But that's not the point. It doesn't matter if you hire the next best thing on the market. This is an organizational problem. It's going to be the same thing year after year after year after year. This is never going to get better. The McCaskies need to understand you need to let your GM – do their thing you need to stop giving them lists of things to do you need to give them full autonomy of what they want to do you didn't even interview Mike McDaniel who looks like an offensive genius in yeah. Miami right now which I said week one Tua a Valola of as an MVP candidate look at him after the first three weeks he looks phenomenal out there but this is what I'm talking about incompetent quarterback play Justin Fields has regressed before our very eyes. There was one thing this team was good at last year, and that was running the football. They don't run the football anymore. Justin Fields doesn't run with the football much anymore. There's no quarterback design plays, and he has absolutely no vision down the field, because if there's nothing down the field, he just takes off running. Mm -hmm. There are people open down the field. DJ Moore was open a couple times yesterday. Darnell Mooney was open a couple times yesterday. Cole Komet was open a couple times yesterday down the field. But, you know, this team is garbage. They're not good at anything. They're not good at offense. They're not good at defense. They're not good at special teams they're not good at anything besides losing so this team is done they should all be gone after the season the McC- mccaskey should sell the team because the city of chicago if i were anyone you should not go to one game mm-hmm. because this team is garbage they do not care about winning they don't care about anything besides collecting money and this is never going to be fixed if the McCaskeys cannot accept that they are wrong
1: and they can't take any pressure off of fields either i mean I think—
0: They're soft, all
1: of them. Yeah, well, there was a ton of people, especially fans in Chicago, that spent all summer bashing David Montgomery because he left and Mm -hmm. said how much fun he's having in Detroit, rightfully so. I don't blame him. And, like, you look how badly the Bears miss him right now because the the most rushing yards a running back has had in a game for the Chicago Bears is in Week 2 when Khalil Herbert had 35 they don't run I mean, the football they 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 cannot when they need to pick up some a uh, big first down they can't turn and hand it off to it a guy a first and down, get them 5 or 6 down, it yards yeah matter. i mean david montgomery was a very dependable between the tackles back they don't have that or at least not until you think in the future roshan johnson becomes the rb1 so um, it's there's there's no ability for for justin fields to rely on other players in this offense uh, i think the the pass blocking has been okay. There, there Don't was a know, couple right reps. No yeah, there, there was mm-hmm. a couple reps where Fields got got hit pretty quickly. But mm-hmm. um, I think if you would have told the Bears before the, the start of the season what the offensive line would be. I think you would take it. I think you'd be happy overall with with knowing what you know now what the offensive line has given you. It's just Nate Davis. they can't push the ball. Down Nate the field? Davis who doesn't
0: practice. Yeah,
1: but I mean I think they've been fine even even without him and that, that was a swing and a miss. So, so I will
0: say this right now, Justin, because honestly I think Ben can agree with me. So let's say the Bears had the first and second round pick because of Carolina, right? Mm-hmm. So let's say you draft Caleb Williams, let's say you draft Marvin Harrison Junior. What changes? What changes? You're just going to go through the same vicious cycle. Yeah. What they need to do, because they've made the same mistake now twice under the Matt Nagy era and the John Fox era. Remember, Matt Nagy inherited Mitch Trubisky. And then Ryan Poles inherited Justin Fields. What you need to do, clean house. It should have been today. But you need to clean house because they're going to follow tradition. At the end of the season... You're going to hire a new GM, and you're going to let the GM choose who they want the coach to be. It should be an offensive-minded coach. What do you think
2: about this? What? Say, if the Bears do get Caleb Williams.
0: You need to allow— you could
2: possibly maybe go, hey, Lincoln Riley, do you want a promotion from college? I know he's making I a ton of money there. I want someone experienced.
0: I want someone experienced. This is not working right now. Okay, This isn't working. So you need someone that is experienced, that is an offensive-minded yeah. coach. They will call the plays, and then they will hire their own D.C. I would kill right now to bring Vic Fangio back to make this defense look at least okay. halfway decent. A D.C., not the head coach. The
2: Bears are like asking to win the lottery at this point. So
0: you need to allow the GM, unlike the previous two regimes, to pick their quarterback because it totally would be the bears to hire Dan Quinn because they think they're a genius of doing that and then they think they would be a genius of drafting Drake May. That's not the answer. Drake May is not the answer. Dan Quinn isn't the answer. That's all I got to say for that. Unless yep. you got something else to say, I will give the floor to Ben about the Vikings. Hey, all they
2: need to do if you're a Bears fan, hopefully they win. The season's over. One it was over
0: after the first game for the
2: season to be successful, but
0: Whatever. That's it. They'll yeah. win 2 games yeah. if lucky.
2: That would right. be something. They'll
0: have a chance next week against the Broncos because they can't stop a cold. <laughs> All Battle right. of
1: dumpster fire organizations.
0: All right, Ben, go ahead. Should the Vikings move on from Kirk Cousins following their own three-start?
1: Well, I, I mean, I think it's an idea you entertain. I don't think it's realistic, though. So that's I, I'm going to say no just because I, I think those who are tossing it out there are thinking in terms of Madden, just where you can trade any player in the middle of the season. I don't that's know fair. if this is one of those instances, especially with a starting quarterback. To try and have anyone, and I think Kirk's a very smart person, but to ask someone to completely pick up and integrate a new offense into a trade like that and then say, hey, we're relying on you to go win a Super Bowl this year, I would have to go look at the instances where something like that has happened. But off the top of my head, I don't think many. I mean, it's usually after you make a quarterback change for a contender like this, it's a guy that's been on the roster as a backup through training camp. So I think exactly. that's a big deal. And also the biggest deal is, uh, the Kirk has no trade clause, so he can, can totally control right. where he ends up going. If he doesn't want to go to New York and deal with that, like he doesn't have to, and I, I can't say I would totally blame him. Like, would you want to go and every time you make a single mistake, you have Garrett Wilson yelling at you on the sideline and stuff like that? I don't know. So, my answer to that question is no. And the other reason is, too. I think you, you, you look at the, this team and say, okay, you, ha- you have a point differential of, like, minus 14 or whatever it is. Through They lost by three the first game, six the second game, and four yesterday. So, yeah, minus 13. I think you look at that and say, okay, the offense is one of the best in the league. They have the leading passer, the leading receiver. And on the other side, like, the one good defensive player they have, Daniel Hunter, has the most sacks in the league. So, <laughs> There's kind of some anomalies here. It's just basically the inverse of last year where they were a good team that underlying numbers said they were bad. This team, they're a bad team. That underlying numbers say they're probably not going to say they're good, but they're better than an 0-3 team. So I think you look at those kind of things and think it can't continue to bounce the opposite direction for so long. And also looking down the line, I know there's matches of the Kansas City and San Francisco coming from Minnesota, but after that they're going to play a stretch where they have Green Bay, Atlanta, New Orleans, Denver, Chicago, L.A. I mean, that's I think to me is a potential like five and one stretch. Yeah, I can mm-hmm. see that. That's a that's a stretch for me where I, I it would I don't want to get delusional here and say the Vikings are still very much a playoff team because I mean they're zero and three. That doesn't happen a whole lot, but it's mm-hmm. it's like you're gonna get. I don't think Green Bay is anything special. They lost to Atlanta last week, and it took a Derek Carr injury to beat New Orleans yesterday. I feel very confidently saying that. i would say that. If yeah, Derek if Derek Carr stays in that game, that uh, that the, the Saints win that game, the Packers are yep. one and two right now. Yep. I agree. Atlanta is is if you can. And
2: if that's they a, can't that's, run the football. Yes, they, I don't trust done. Desmond
1: Ritter. Yeah. New Orleans potentially against Jameis Winston. I, I think that's a winnable game. Denver's horrible. Chicago. Also horrible. And they're going to play Chicago twice, too. So those are some games. Uh, I think there's a game, uh, a stretch there in the middle, where it's like, okay, if, if you can clean up some of the stupid mistakes. I mean, especially yesterday. You look at how many things happened. Yeah. The Vikings defensive back at Caleb Evans, Mizzou grad, interception that bounced off his hands and helmet, turned into a touchdown for the Chargers. And then at the end of the game, a pass that was put right on TJ Hawkins' hands. Tips up in the air, tip twice, interception. So I think stuff like that where it's just, it has to even out a little bit. I guess maybe just the luck is where it, because it was so uneven last year, it's kind of coming all back to the normal. But I would expect here sometime soon they pick up one of these games. And it would be in very Vikings fashion because they get both Kansas City and San Fran at home coming up. I'm not saying <sighs> they're gonna win either of those, but it would be, be something they would do to like at the very least take one of those all the way down to the wire. And maybe they they surprise some people because the offense in Minnesota is incredible. I oh, mean I think so. The, I, agree. Th- this I all- love Jordan Addison. Yes, he too. is a great commentary wide yep. receiver too. I'm not very high on KJ Osborne. I hope they start giving Addison more of of Osborne snaps. But I think this offense in Minnesota is good enough to compete and keep them in pretty much every game. I said this yesterday. Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson are masking a whole lot of problems that this overall team has. The interior offensive line stinks. Mm -hmm. The defense is horrible. You saw Keenan Allen toast uh, Byron Murphy just on repeat for three hours yesterday. And yet, number eight, number 18, we're continuing to drag this terrible roster To almost a game-winning drive there at the end. So, um, all in all, I think you look at all those collective aspects of the offense is great. The defense, the winner, the leader right now is two and one. It doesn't feel like there's a world-beater team that's in the NFC North at the moment. Um, And I just think too, like if we're being realistic here, it's not Madden, and I don't think it's a scenario where you're just going to trade away Kirk Cousins. Although he is an impending free agent, I just can't see the Jets having. Both Kirk Cousins and Aaron, Ross, Aaron Rodgers in the building at one point. And I know R- Kirk's a free agent, so he could walk and he can go right back to Rodgers, but it's like, who really is the other fits around the around the league in midseason? So, yeah, I'd be I, very shocked I, yeah. if Kirk
2: was the lead minister. That's, that's so the biggest thing the last Here's what I
0: will say number one, I hope Kirk Cousins continues to do well because he's helping my fantasy team. Okay, yeah, he, he's phenomenal. Yep. Kirk Thuggins, I love him. Hey, I put but,
2: Joe Burrow on the bench. Number, to start Kirk. Number Love that. Wow, man. Okay, yep.
0: and number two, what are your thoughts about Alexander Madison? Because I have not heard many takes on this. He played fine yesterday, but what are your
1: overall thoughts? I, I cannot stand how he can't hold on to the football. I mean, I think okay. that was, if they had anyone better yesterday, I think he would have been benched because it was, he had he had one fumble that got called because of those super early forward progress whistle. It really was a fumble, but, and it was in the red zone too. It almost took a touchdown off the board for the Vikings. Okay. And then later in the game was barely down. So, should have had multiple fumbles, but... Cam Akers wasn't help, wasn't active because he just got to Minnesota four days ago trying to win the playbook. I think Cam Akers is more explosive than Alexander Madison, and I would hope that if this continues for Madison um, that, that Akers gets more of the work. And I'm not saying Akers is a great running back either. There's a reason that L.A. traded him. Akers' efficiency outside of a couple late games last year is not very good. But I, I think looking back to yesterday, he faced a bad defensive run game in the Chargers. Right. We see, you know that defensive line cannot stop the run like they can stop the pass. And he took advantage of it. Yes, the stats look good yesterday, but I think if you watch the game, it wasn't like Alexander Madison was, was breaking tackles at the line of scrimmage. He was running through open holes and then going down the first hit he took five yards past the line of scrimmage. So that is a major issue. I think Kevin O'Connell knows it's a major issue, and I, I would just hope that they start to – Turn to hopefully a little bit more the home run hitter that Cam Akers is. Okay. And once again, I'm not expecting big things, but and I'll, last thing I'll say about this: just because Alexander Madison stinks, doesn't mean that the Vikings are wrong to cut Dalvin Cook. Because Dalvin Cook also stinks. He's I think over the hill very clearly at this point. Yes. It was just a fa- the Vikings had no good running backs in the room the last couple of years.
0: So let me ask you this question: because obviously Cam Akers, it's not like he's like he's been good. He hasn't really been good since. Like, very good since the Super Bowl. Yeah. So I will say that. However, that doesn't mean a change of scenery cannot help him. So what I will say to you is do you think this would be more of a A, 1A, 1B sort of thing? I do.
1: I do think it's going to be. I think they're going to trust Madison more between the tackles. Okay. Um... And then Acres on, in the red zone? Akers acre, potentially on, on passing stuff. I, okay. Maybe in the red zone if you're going to run kind of like wide zone type of things. And okay. you, I think you would rather have him try and beat a guy to the outside. Yeah. Although I don't know how his speed has happened since the Achilles injury. I would have to go back and just see. Um, but it's I think off just from what I've seen of him in L.A., a more explosive back than Madison I don't know if they trust either of the two of them in pass blocking. I think that they'll probably have C J Ham out there more to block than they will have Akers or or Madison. But um I think you trust Cam Akers' ability, like I said, the home run much more than Alexander yeah. Madison because until yesterday Madison didn't have a carry over ten yards, which is just incredible when you when you look at it. So All right. um it's a it's a it's just not a good backfield in right. general.
0: We're gonna do a very, very quick commercial break and then when we get back, the Miami Dolphins they the scary ones to look out for. We'll be right back. KCOU thanks its listeners, sponsors, and Café Berlin for their support of this station. Café Berlin offers locally sourced brunch and cocktails from 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. with live
1: music at night in downtown Columbia, unique waffle and drink specials weekly, plus a wide variety of vegan and vegetarian options.
0: Additional information can be found at Café Berlin Como on Instagram. KSU 88.1 FM. Bye bye bye. That is basically what the Dolphins said to the Denver good Broncos. One. That was really good. Exactly what they said to them as soon as that, as soon as kickoff happened yesterday. The, I got to admit, that was a. The Miami Dolphins took the Denver Broncos to the woodshed. Yep. And Chopped oh, and by up. the way, that was without Jalen Waddell. On the offense, that's very important to mention because the Miami Dolphins scored 70 points against the Denver Broncos, and they were doing it as well with backups. Mike White scored a touchdown. In two, I think I don't know when Tua was out exactly, but I think this is important to mention as well. The Dolphins put more points on the board than any other team had since the Washington, when they were back then, scored a league record 72 in yep. 1966. And obviously you guys knew about the yards record and all that good stuff. But you know what? I'll ask Justin first. Are the Miami Dolphins the scariest team in the league?
2: I think they are. Especially how explosive they are. And you just witnessed it yesterday, putting up 70 points without your wide receiver two and Jalen Waddle, And you just completely destroyed this Broncos defense, which coming into the season was, you know, a top 10 defense, but... They're dumpster fire at the moment as well. But this offense just looks so elite. Tua is playing at an all time high. He looks like the MVP right now. Hmm, I, who, if you I had to who said write that. him off. I who and said uh that. Oh, well, I, yeah, I'll give you that shout out, Luca. I did say
0: that. <laughs> I said
2: that. And I, I agree at the moment. Tua is looking like that. And. If they can keep this up, A-Chain, oh, my gosh, did he play exceptionally well yesterday. Man, I wish I would have had him on my fantasy team, the way he played, 51 fantasy points. And then Moster as well, pick him 34. They got, you know, 1A, 1B type of running back okay. game as well. I think this team is going to be hard to beat. I really wouldn't be, like, shocked if this team finds a way to just – like, I think the over-under next week against the Bills is going to be, like – insane like it i'd say over under would probably be like 70
0: Okay. because
2: i feel like it's going to be like a firework slugfest between the two of them but i think this offense team is legit i haven't you know said that they win the afc east which i still think they will and they'll be a tough out in the playoffs when it comes to that time
0: ladies and gentlemen mike mcdaniel's here if you think you are going to beat this team by limiting their passing attack they will just run the ball down your throats. That is all they will do. If you're going to try to limit one of their part of their offense, they will just do the opposite. Yesterday, I obviously knew that the Denver Broncos were a little susceptible against the pass. I did not know they would be that susceptible against the run. Vance Joseph should have lost his job yesterday. That is how embarrassing it was. He should have not even been allowed to get on the team plane. That was embarrassing. Devon A. Chain, who had his first career start yesterday. Yep. Went for over 200 rushing yards. He looked phenomenal. Raheem Mostert looked phenomenal yesterday. Oh, and that is with Jeff Wilson Jr. coming back from IR in week 5. I don't know where all this is going to be set in stone. But their backup that got hurt, I, I forgot his name. I just left, but it's on the t- tip of my tongue. I forgot his name. But I don't think he's going to find a role on this team anytime soon because I think Devon A. Chain has taken that role for any for the f- time moving forward. This The scary thing is that the Dolphins... They had 145 rushing yards against the Patriots because Bill Belichick wanted to limit the passing damage. The Broncos wanted to do the same thing. However, that didn't look great at halftime when Tua was perfect in p- uh, passing completion and had over 200 yards already in passing. That didn't look too good. But then you add Raheem Mostert and Devon chain. Mm-hmm. They have 350 rushing yards. Uh, combined, and they absolutely gashed the Broncos' first-team defenders. And, uh, oh, yeah, A-Chain was not 100% healthy necessarily. So uh, that was really embarrassing if you really take everything into consideration. But Mike McDaniel, I think we need to start giving this man more credit because this dude is ridiculously creative on offense. I mean, I have never seen anything like this before, what he's able to do with the different schemes. He puts defenses look like deer in headlights out there.
1: I wanted to say this because Tim Hasselbeck mentioned this on SportsCenter last night. I thought it was a really good analysis, and I wanted to bring it here because what Mike McDaniel does, and you're you're not going to like this comparison, it reminds me a little bit of what Matt Nagy did in 2018 with the Bears, but McDaniel does it much better because Mm -hmm. what happens is it's simple plays but there's just so much window dressing that it throws the defense for a loop. I mean, it's like yeah, when they one of the most are rushing touchdowns where it was a simple halfback draw, but there's a guy going on an end around and another guy in motion where you get everyone all out of sorts and then it's just a run or it's literally it was like the the no look pitch pass where it's just a simple like pitch to the running back, but there's like four different guys going everywhere. And I remember Nagy used to do the same thing in 2018 where they would put Gabriel in motion, motion out Cohen, all these different things. Taylor Gabriel. Yeah, I remember but him. the Dolphins just have better weapons. And, and better execution and just they it's schemed up overall better but it's that type of thing that Mike McDaniel does so good which it, it, it helps too when you can do all this window dressing and then still have Tyreek Hill and, and Jalen Waddle running down the field and even we saw Robbie chosen cook Patrick Sertan which is just nuts because yeah, that's a corner. Yeah I don't think I ever see that mm-hmm. but, yeah. uh,
0: we did you know and it actually was perfect for the narrative yesterday because it was just over after the I think it was over after the first quarter because that's how embarrassing it really was but You know, the thing is, that defense, after the first game, I was very concerned because they looked lost out there. And obviously, Jalen Ramsey, he has yet to come back from injury, so you'll have Xavier uh, Xavier Howard, and then you'll have uh, Jalen Ramsey on the other side. But, you know, the thing is, the defense has looked better for the first, last two games. Yep. Uh, Vic Fangio's there right now. Uh, the Bears have very uh, familiarity with the uh, Vic Fangio, who's a very good D.C. in the league. Not exactly good head coach, but a very good D.C., and he's showing it right now in Miami. If you would like to beat the Miami Dolphins, you're going to have to expose the little flaws that they really have, and that is going to have to getting pressure on Tua, but the thing is is you're going to have to be very quick to get pressure on Tua because he's going to let that ball fly, and sure yep. enough, he has done that the last Three weeks and good luck beating this team moving forward.
1: Yeah, last thing I'll say, how about that game on Sunday, Bills Dolphins in Miami? Kind of a shame that it's a noon kickoff because yeah, that's, that's the best game of they the game. They should weekend. flex that one instead. Should have been yeah. America's
2: game of the week for sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, so that'll be that'll be a fun one, a, a real chance to. Buffalo already has a division loss, so right. I mean they're 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 gonna mm-hmm. be playing for, you know they still remember how the one finished last year, at least the early season one they got them late in Buffalo, but yeah that that'll be. If if I wasn't also gonna be watching Minnesota, that would probably be the game I'm most locked into, Buffalo versus is uh Same. Buffalo versus Miami.
0: All right, that will conclude today's show, thanks for tuning into Around the Waves, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.